Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Tessa Perutz is an artist currently based in New York City, yet about to move to Europe. She was born in 1988, and in addition to making art, she also curates Massive Central, a collection of silk scarves by contemporary artists. She received her BFA from the Art Institute of Chicago, and also studied at the Slade School of Fine Art in London. She's shown at Pablo's birthday, Serving the People, Joshua Liner, Atlanta Contemporary, the Brooklyn Academy of Music, Day Space in Philadelphia, Guerrero Gallery in San Francisco, and others. She's had residencies in Berlin, San Francisco, and Iceland, and her work has been covered in Art Forum, Juxtapose, Milk Magazine, Modern Painters, Art Info, and many others. From February 15th to March 15th, 2018, Pablo's Birthday Gallery in New York City exhibited Karma Soler, a solo show by Tessa that was created in remembrance of her close friend, the artist and poet Paul Seijo. I met Tessa on the last day of her show at the gallery, and we spoke about her growing up at DJing, skateboarding, writing, a run-in with Nan Golden, experimenting in work, and much more. Here's our conversation. don't you know sometimes but not always related to art I like to listen to a lot of different things yeah I don't listen to many art ones yeah I listen to more comedians and uh comedians and more comedians and then like the radio lab or NPR ones right you know yeah I listen to NPR a lot maybe that's not specifically a podcast but well they have yeah fresh airs right yeah it's a podcast and I do like listening to that a lot it's very good in the studio to get your mind into other sort of realms, you know. Yeah, definitely. When you're pushing something in your work and you kind of want to think about it outside of your work. You yeah. Know? I always so find you're that's not really good. Some people get distracted by narrative while they're working. You're good with it? Mm, I like to be able to like tap in and tap out, you know, as mm-hmm. long as it's not like something that's like incredibly um, sort of like invasive i mean i've listened to some podcasts podcasts where i was like oh my god i just can't think about this in relation to like my work like yeah. you know isis uh oh yeah <laughs> uh, documentaries and things on just like that are really really problematic for focusing on your own thing i don't know do you ever watch tv while you're working i never watch tv i grew up with a lot of tv around me and i just don't really like tv i find it to be like mentally um, stifling a little bit. I'm, I'm with you. Not a big TV person. I no. don't watch a lot of TV. And it's really popular now these days because you can watch whatever you want. You can curate your own TV. Totally. Really. So a lot of times people are like, oh, you know, Black Mirror, or whatever it is, whatever show. Kind of like, you would like that, right? And I haven't seen them and I feel guilty. That I'm like, no. I know. That's so funny. People almost give you hell. They're yeah. like, do you know this show? You're like, I don't watch TV. They're like, oh, yeah. you must be living in the 60s or something. Right. You know? Or like, you think you're above television, but television is so artistic these days. So you're really missing out. Right. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I watched, um, you know, Spike Lee did this uh, Netflix series. She's got to have it, mm-hmm. which is really funny because it's about this like, 
chick who's like a little bit younger than me, um, black, grew up in New York, uh, trying to make it as a painter and artist and having like all these affairs and stuff. Living in Fort Greene, it's so funny. It's just like every part of that like is kind of in mirroring where I'm at in my mm-hmm. life, but a little bit before and I'm white, so not that, but that Brooklyn young female experience. And I just like, it was too close to reality. A lot of these things, you know, I think it's good to be removed and sometimes just watching yourself and having this mirror and people say to me, Oh, have you seen girls? Your life reminds me of girls. I guess there's a girl named Tess or something on girls. Never seen it. But that's (laughs) another one that I'm just like, "Mm, I don't want to watch myself in Bushwick at 24 again. (laughs) Right. Does it make you feel like self-critical in a way? It makes me feel like it, it feels really negative. It feels really like, um, incestuous and really like uh kind of like just reminds me of times in my life that were like not great I think every woman struggles in their early 20s with like identity and stuff like that and kind of watching those videos I don't necessarily or movies or tv series or whatever I don't think they're necessarily uplifting but then again I don't watch them enough so yeah I can't really be one to judge Lena Dunham has done so much for young women a lot of people argue for her and against her, but, you know, in terms of, like, body consciousness and stuff like that, what she's done is just, like, awesome. Right. I think so. Well, there's a lot of creative output out there that you know is positive or is doing something good, but it's just not in your wheelhouse or it's not your favorite thing to watch or listen to or look at. Absolutely. And I always say for things like that, I don't like to speak on things or have an opinion on things unless I know them. Yeah. You know, often people say, what do you what do you think of this artist? Like, um, I don't think about that artist that much because I don't know their work very well. You know, yeah. I think it's unwise to have like a staunch opinion on something unless you're educated on it. You know, yeah. that's kind of what ignorance stem, stems from a little bit. So right. if there is something that, you know, um, I really like, then obviously I'm interested in it and I pursue it. But there's also a good thing for having a certain level of mystery, mm-hmm. you know, or not knowing about things. Right. Being outside of my sphere of influence and just letting, you know, saying, well, what do I know? There's so many things in the world I don't know, you know? Which is kind of counter to today's um, approach of just knowing a little bit about everything or being embarrassed if you don't know something about everything. You oh, know, what totally. it's like the Wikipedia, Wikipediaization of like people. Oh, absolutely. Knowledge. Yeah. It's like, oh, you have to know a little bit about everything. Oh, totally. Globalization, too. Being able to have your finger or, you know, social media allows you to do that, too. You know, Instagram allows you to be a 10-minute expert on everything, you know? And that's often how people think they know one another or something like that, is like through some sort of online appearance of some person. Right. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's funny how you can kind of just like create this identity for yourself based on just, you know, something that's not in concrete. Yeah. And it's rapidly changing. But you gave yourself away. You said that you weren't yet 30. Yeah. So you were coming to to age or those those girls years that you're talking about were kind of like as this stuff is happening. Right. Or I think starting to become prominent. Definitely. But I really have always marched to my own beat, honestly, in terms of like influence, activities that I'm interested in, Mm -hmm. 
things that are really maybe not what you'd expect a 25-year-old, 27-year-old female, 18-year-old female to be into, you know? Yeah. Well, um, where did you start marching? Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Evanston, Illinois, which is... Um, College town? It's where Northwestern is. Um, it's really, really a wonderful, incredible, insanely diverse, multicultural place. And um, I feel very, very lucky for having grown up there. And I lived all over Chicago as well. Like when I was in school, I went to the Art Institute of Chicago. And Evanston is basically, you know, it's still on the CTA. It's still on the train line. So it's still like people call it like, you know, a, it's like a part of the city still. It's not quite what you think of a, th- a suburb as it's more of like a sort of an extension of Chicago and I went to like an incredibly diverse high school I had like so many different kinds of friends and I'm just like crazy 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 grateful for how I grew up because you know even some of these kids that grew up in New York grew up in more homogenous sort of upbringings in terms of like private schools and stuff like that I went to public school and you know, my parents are super creative and really supportive. And yeah, what did they do? Um, my dad, he uh, it's really interesting because he started a textiles company. It's like a trade show display uh, kind of manufacturing business that he started from basically nothing. And he grew into like a major, like very cool business, very innovative, um, very design oriented um, yeah, it's super, super cool. Like in the 80s when he was building his business, it was kind of like at the forefront of the trade show and display exhibit systems. Um, so we were all grow- always growing up with like extrusion, construction components, like all these weird sort of materials. And I think that that really gave me my sort of sense of like um, spatial awareness in terms of like what really influenced my work. Um, and he also was a painter. He stopped painting, though. I really give him hell for that. He's such a great artist. I have some of his work, like, up in my apartment. Um, And my mom, she was, like, always at home with us, and she is really into knitting, and she's, like, a textile designer, and she's really into, like, gardening. And she was always there when we were kids, so I always had, like, one of my parents around or both of my parents around, which was really, really good. Did he Um, start that already in Evanston or did that bring him there like well my dad was um it's funny because I it's a longer family story I just found out my family history which was oh really yeah crazy I always thought I I was raised Catholic I always thought I was like an American British Catholic Mm -hmm. kid and my dad actually is British by way of um Austria and like basically his whole family was lost in the Holocaust, which is crazy. We just found this out. I mm-hmm. wrote my family history with my father. He moved to London with my grandfather. They He grew up there, and then when he was 18, he moved to the States to go to Northwestern, and he stayed there. And he was an assistant to a photographer, and he basically took the uh, photo clips they used to use to hang photos, mm-hmm. and he built an entire business from that, like things to display artwork and display concepts and brands and businesses and you know he's built display systems for you know anybody you could imagine like pop-up displays tiny ones you know graphics yeah graphics yeah Yeah. totally he was really he really still is at the forefront um of his industry so Um, that's how 
he landed in Evanston, I guess. Yeah, for totally, totally. And then him and my mom met. My mom was like, I saw this really quirky British guy come in with a bottle of champagne. And my dad was like, I saw this like American chick with like cool boots. And I was like, it's the best of both worlds. <laughs> like that's sounds like me, you know. And then you were born. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there's five kids in my family. So Whoa, four yeah. siblings? Yeah, yeah. I have an older sister, a younger sister, and uh, twin younger brothers. So we have quite... Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I have a large family. Is it a, a large age difference, or are you guys pretty um, tight? Seven years, seven months, seven days, from my oldest sister to my youngest uh, brother. That was nice of them to make it so convenient. I to know remember. they really wrapped it up in a they really wrapped it up in a nice package. Actually, those like, are important. I feel like like my son was born on seven ten oh seven. Oh, cool! And he weighed seven pounds and ten ounces. Wow! I was like, this is good for me because I'm not going to remember this otherwise. Well, that's actually really funny because I have a I have a good little anecdote with that. I was actually my dad's golden birthday present so i was born on 7 88 mm-hmm. and he was born on 7 58 so when i came home on two days later from the hospital on the 30th of july it was his 30th birthday present oh wow so we've always had this like really funny little birthday uh just connection like that and so it's really cute your dad's favorite Oh, obviously. <laughs> I mean, how can you not be? No, I think I, I, I think I probably take after my father more than anyone of the kids because I really do have that like um, kind of industrious, like entrepreneurial, very like visually oriented, creative, always processing new projects, mm-hmm. always working kind of like, I don't know, you know, overtime on producing something new. Always, always. So you got his work like ethic. That. Yeah, definitely. But do you like to walk into rooms with champagne? Oh, that's my thing. My <laughs> God, ask anybody. Oh, you guys are like... I, I always show up with a bottle of champagne. It's just like, it's rare that I'm not there. You like, really are like I like to pop. I like to pop the, pop the party off. I mean... Work hard, play hard. Yeah. Oh, God, do I live by that. <laughs> I work my ass off, too. So I just had an opening last night, actually, at Joshua Liner. It was mm-hmm. great. The um, group show, right? Yeah, someone picked up the work, like you know basically right when the show opened so that was a good way to start it off and it's been like such a successful past few weeks um with this show and volta and just a lot of different projects i launched a jacket that i created and a lot of different stuff and it's like wow feels good finally oh my god paying off thank god after all these years of really paying dues and working just my absolute tail off to get you know some projects realized it's finally coming to fruition. I'm finally seeing it. It's like, oh my God. But and now you're going to sink that ship by going on a podcast. You think? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Oh my God, there's no way. You can't sink the ship that way. No, no, this is, yeah, this is. <laughs> well, uh, that's uh, this and this too. This is an amazing opportunity as well. It's really cool. It's like everything's hit this ripple effect and it's like so cool to see all the different people also that are feeling the effect of these things. The community, right? Yeah. I feel like that's the best feeling. Totally. Because like the career stuff or the shows and all that, you know, that ebbs and flows that goes up and down. Definitely. You know, I was like when I was younger and I first started showing in the city, I had, I was fortunate enough to have some mentors, you know, old professors or friends who had been around the block for a long time. And they they said, you know, just things go up and down. Definitely. Things will go up and down. Just ride out the storm. Totally. Just keep making work. And then at the end of the day, the community and the relationships that you make will be kind of like the fabric that 
hold you together. You know what I mean? Certainly. And New York is just probably the one place in the world that speaks most truly to that, I think, because it is such a tight knit community mm-hmm. and it really is. Um, ex- we do it extremely well here. You know, people do extremely well here. Like for the most part, the people that I know, they that really work very hard. It pays off. And um, that's not true in a lot of places, you know, because the opportunities are not as high and the community is not always in support and propelling one another the way that they are here, you know? Yeah. Like you walk around the Lower East Side and, you know, there's tons of things around here that like, you know, my immediate community is like so vast, you know, yours, mine and ours is over there mm-hmm. on Eldritch. They're a great gallery. Love Patton and RJ. They're so great here at Pablo's birthday, couple blocks over. This is the gallery I'm showing with now. And, you know, this, is such a rich 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 support system for me this gallery is wonderful and then you know you go to the new museum i stock my scarves my massive central uh you know artist scarf editions i have over there and then you know you just pop around to all these different places in lower manhattan and you're like great this you know Bacaro down here in division that's like my family alan levitt that's his restaurant um you know and claw and delancey it's like within like a five block radius you know of this gallery pretty much there's just such an incredible um amazing family of new yorkers claw money her shop clonco is over there on delancey and she's like my godmother of sorts and you know you just have this incredible supportive community it's just so cool but you know and and everybody knows how hard it is here so that's like even more sort of like it's support oriented because everyone's like oh my god you know you're doing this you're doing this it's all like such a hard place to live it's such a stressful you know fast moving place it's exhausting you know yeah definitely even with the you know you're like work hard play hard like i have you know with all these different things that are happening it's still like you know you have all the success but like you're also going out and you're staying out late and then you're expected to work super hard and be on the ball it's like oh my god sometimes you just have to like take a break and get out you know yeah. i'm planning on moving soon so well the nice thing about new york or cities like new york is that there's stuff to go see you know mm-hmm. you can go out and see music you can go out and whatever you want to do it's it's like kind of here yeah definitely it's it's the biggest gift and the curse is the limit the limitlessness of new york right you know yeah that's the kind of thing that makes it so you can't get out of bed in the morning and that's the first thing that makes you get out of bed in the morning mm-hmm. you know it's yeah. just it, certain people it can be incredibly uh sort of like stifling the overwhelming nature of you know um activities and opportunities you know i too felt, much i've definitely do. felt like that i do feel that way now you yeah. know um i moved my uh studio out to brownsville recently because i just was like i found you know a decent space um but you know, I was in Bed-Stuy before that, and that's it was pretty close in in Bed-Stuy, so it wasn't super far, but it's kind of nice to be removed out there, to be, you know, everybody wants to be downtown, but in a way, it's kind of good to be in a space in your own that's right. in a neighborhood where there maybe aren't artists, you know? Yeah. But I'm not staying for long. <laughs> well, before we get into that, you're, it sounded like you had support growing up to be creative, considering your family. Yeah, definitely. So in high school, you were just taking some art classes. Is that when you got into it? Yeah. Or was it more... Because you went to the Art Institute, so you went to a art school. Well, it's interesting. I actually wanted to be a writer. Um, I wanted to be everything. Mm-hmm. 
and I still want to be everything. Right. Um, <laughs> and I try to spread my practices wide and um, really not limit the medium that I kind of express any sort of creative thoughts in. But I kind of, I started out wanting to be a fashion designer when I was a kid, and then I started writing a lot. And I've always been really active with writing. Um, the, the past few years less because I found like painting has really addressed those same thoughts but you know I was always writing fiction I was always writing poetry I wrote a lot of stories in high school I just wrote 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 wrote, wrote. I really loved the idea of like and I and, and I just loved symbols texts like editing so I was really interested in that in high school I also took a lot of art classes too but I didn't know how it would kind of work to be an artist, mm-hmm. an artist who like really was a successful artist. I was like, I'm from, Chi- I'm from Chicago. I don't know anybody who's done this besides Ed Paschke, rest in peace, who was my dad's teacher. Are you familiar with Paschke's oh, yeah. work? Yeah, he, he was someone I saw growing up a lot, his work, because he was my dad's teacher, so we always had him around. But besides that, it's like Paschke didn't even really gain as much success as he should have in his life. It was only after when Gagosian uh, worked with... Uh, Jeff Koons, who was Paschke's studio assistant, mm-hmm. to, to organize that show that he really had. Same thing for a lot of Chicago artists. So I started out writing. I really never had this like super strong um, vision of what it was to be an artist. And I thought, you know, I can write books and I can, you know, I also had like a DJ license when I was a kid. I would go and like play. I did like little like DJ sets at like a local radio in Colorado because I spent a lot of time in Colorado when I was a kid. So I was like all over the place with things I was really interested in. And then um, there's other things that I got really into too that influenced me. And then, you know, um, the writing, I went to school actually. My first year in college was in Boston at Emerson for creative writing. And then I got to a point where I didn't like the school in Emerson. I felt it like way too constricting. And I was like, oh, I'll go to the Art Institute of Chicago because they have a writing program. And at the time I was actually like, writing songs and playing them on a ukulele and I um as my admission to the school it was actually kind of like a joke I think I was like getting a kick out of sending this as like what are they gonna possibly say and I sent them like a cd with all these ukulele songs that I had written Mm -hmm. that I had played and like you know totally you know unedited unmastered just terrible quality on GarageBand or something and then they called me like we're offering you this great scholarship come study in the writing program I was like, okay, wow, bizarre, sure. I wonder how many writing, creative writing applications came on a CD, you know what I mean? I know, right? I guess that was kind of, you know, you stuck out because of that. Yeah, totally. And you were writing your own lyrics to it? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. the whole thing. And I even wrote songs in French, too. I I wrote, like, I wrote all these really wild, like, how would I even describe them, these songs? I don't know. They were definitely, like, goofy poems that, like, I don't know. There was kind of that period in, like, 2000, when I was applying to school, 2006, 2007, like, where it was, like, folky singers with, Mm -hmm. you know, a girl with ukulele. And I got so into the ukulele. Oh, my God, I would take it everywhere with me. I was really obsessed. I was, like, playing on the street and stuff. I was really obsessed with it. I don't know what happened to that. If anybody has ukulele, like, I'll try it out. I have a ukulele. See if I have any, really? Ukulele. See if I could yeah. still play that. I have to restring mine, but um, that was so long ago have at you, this point. Have you been to Hawaii? I haven't, no. You should go. Bring yeah? In, bring a, well, you don't even have to bring a ukulele. You'll get one. They're just there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really nice one. Just, can I take this on the beach? Right. <laughs> <laughs> just let me take it for a spin. 
Like Did you have pet. kind of like the 20s, 30s style singing voice? Like, mm. or what were you singing like? Uh, I had done a lot of singing like when I was a kid. Like I had been in chorus and like, like I even like was in some plays and stuff when I was a kid. So I was really like, I had had like training and mm-hmm. singing a little bit. Now that I'm thinking about that, I never really thought of that actually. It's kind of different you never connected those no i never really like i never thought about it i was just kind of like i don't know how i was singing it was just just naturally i don't think i put put on any sort of like affect uh, (laughs) no i didn't put on any affect and i definitely didn't have like what do they call it like auto-tune or something oh yeah like who are those like terrible rappers that had all those like weird no it was totally just like (laughs) me singing into a mic like in my apartment like in chicago or something like or in boston or whatever um, and then so you got in. Yeah, I got in. And then I think my first year I was like after I had done a year in Boston, I my first year I like took every class I did like sound, which was like hacking um, speakers and like, you know, making like crazy mics, contact mics and like doing super experimental like sound work um and then i took my first painting class which was with elisa niesenbaum i just had a phone call with her like day before yesterday like she was so influential to me my god and do you know her work i don't she um she had she taught me my first oil painting class i still have my first oil paintings i made with her and they're damn good they're they're considering i had never done that before and they were probably only damn good because she was like told me what to do and a really good teacher will tell you if something's like needs to be fixed or whatever so I think she was like just the right level of like tough and sweet and like very 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 intelligent Elisa Niesenbaum she's a great artist um she's wonderful and then I also took like performance classes and uh drawing classes with like Tyson and Scott Reeder I had a lot of really interesting teachers at the Art Institute. I did not really like school. I really am not much for, like, standardized education. I was also, like, really, like, wanting to be out in the streets a lot. Like, I didn't want to be in school still. I was always kind of, like, a free spirit. I had, I had a hard time, like, staying indoors for too long, yeah. you know. Um, did you have a studio there, though? They gave us, like, uh, the first few years, no. And then I was in advanced painting where they give you, like, a private studio, pretty mm-hmm. much small one without any windows. Like, with any sort of, those. like, yeah, It's like yeah. a long hallway full of, like... I don't know. know where they do it now, but when I did it, it was in the, um, uh, uh, was it on Wabash? Sorry, I'm forgetting the name of that street, actually. That's crazy. That's how long. It was on Michigan Avenue, mm-hmm. like, just right across from the Art Institute. Yeah. And, you know. I think, I mean, I haven't... I, the only time I was there was when I interviewed for grad school. Oh, funny. Did, you in, didn't go there, obviously. I didn't. That was that the was, only time you'd been there. That was the late 90s. So. Oh, funny. Yeah, a lot of good people went to grad school. It's probably even better for grad than it is undergrad because they have such great professors that uh, do criti- criticism, like, for the grad department. Um, but, yeah, so, like, I had a studio, and then I had a studio on Howard Street, which is, like, up north, you know, in Chicago, they call it the North Pole, like mm-hmm. the top of the city, basically. You know, one side's Evanston, one side's the city. It's still really... Howard Street to this day is so rough, my God. Jonquil Jungle. I used to hear gunshots in that studio all day long. God, it was so bad. Very rough. Chicago's still so rough. It's crazy. Um, but the funny thing about it was, it was right across the street from the train yard. 
And I would look into the train yard and like watch trains go in and out. And I could like watch people like painting trains. And mm-hmm. it was really, really sick. I had this rooftop that looked straight into the layup. It was crazy. And I found the studio actually because I was just riding in from like where I grew up into the city for school. I was like, it was on the way. Yeah. And I saw like studio for rent and I called them. And I was like, oh my God, like you couldn't imagine how cheap it was. And I went and checked it out. And then they were like, you know, this is Ed Paschke's old studio. That's crazy. Next door. Now it's a bodybuilder, like a Dominican bodybuilding gym facility. Like yeah, gym, yeah, private. But I was like, damn, Paschke would not have wanted anything less than that. I was like, that is exactly <laughs> yeah. what he wanted, you know? So I, uh, I had that studio for like good, probably like eight months or a year. I loved it. It was really, really great. But was it um, spacious? I'm it picturing was something big. Yeah. It was enormous. It was crazy. And it was like, I could not tell you how cheap it was. It was insane. So I was like living between my boyfriend and my parents' house. And I had this big studio that was like right, you know, up north in Chicago. And it was like this Caribbean neighborhood. I've always like really d- dig Caribbean neighborhoods. When I came to New York, I had my studio in Crown Heights for a little while. I was like, man, makes me feel like Chicago with like... Mm-hmm go and get a veggie patty and a red stripe and like, you know, yeah. chill with the Rastas a little bit. <laughs> I like, I like those neighborhoods. I don't know why. Island people, I always get along with them. Yeah. <laughs> they dig, they dig me. I dig their vibe. So that's cool. Yeah. So what happened when you graduated? Um, I, uh, when I was still in school, I did an internship in New York for Deitch mm-hmm. in 2009. So that was when I was 20. I did that. 2009. Where was that? When he was in the others, the second. That space? was on Grand Street. Okay. Yeah, and they had the Wooster space too. And uh, so I did an internship there for a summer, and I met so many people. I lived in New York in 2009 for a summer. I met so many people. It was crazy. And then I went back, finished up my degree in Chicago, and then moved here solid in 2011. So I've been here on and off since 2009, but I moved in 11, and then like have been here pretty much solid since then other than like you know some bouts on residencies and stuff like that but I moved to New York and I did literally every single job in the art world (laughs) oh my god why did you because you know some people feel like working in the art world can be not good Mm. well I guess the internship with Jeffrey introduced you to a bunch of people so in that sense it was you were like connecting right Mm. 100% I met so many people I mean the internship was short it was like a short summer internship so I don't think that really did it introduced me to artists but nobody like I really like that's when I met Barry McGee the first time Mm -hmm. when I was like 20 and I always was like since then I've just dig Barry and we get along like crazy well um and I met a lot of other artists like through them but I was so young I was like I couldn't even you know you can't really, when you're 20 years old, be like, hi, I, I'm an artist yet. You know, you don't really have that much of your own sort of like personality to. Still in the shell. Yeah, yeah totally to in connect. the shell. Totally in the shell. But, you know, um, when I first moved here through a bunch of people, I started working for an independent curator in like Yorkville. Mm-hmm. And I would go up there and I did, oh my God, every job for her. And I had so much training as a writer through school and doing a school in Emerson and then the Art Institute like I went into painting basically I, I I totally cut everything out and I just started only taking painting classes and then you know when I got here I was like oh man like I really want to be an artist how do I do this you know and I just was like I have to use every skill I have possible to like 
make it seem as though I have something to offer to these people, a fresh perspective, you know, this Midwestern work ethic, which mm. everybody really did recognize, you know. I started working for a curator and I like helped her do so many things. I was managing the Deborah Remington Trust with her. I don't know if you're familiar with Deborah it's, Remington. It sounds familiar, but I don't know. She's having her real reemergence, like really appreciation reemergence, like now. She was a Bay Area, New York artist. Um, and then I wrote like labels, like I wrote texts for museum exhibitions that the curator put together. I was like, you know, um, doing like basically everything you could imagine. And then I started managing art fairs. Um, I was working for Sanford Smith and like I just fit in super well, like with doing the fairs it was really long hours you know you set up you get there to the armory at like 6 30 in the morning and you just print out it's doing like badges and like you know um sort of like validation of credentials and that sort of thing for them and then also like coordinating gallery sort of like working as like a gallery liaison with the art fair people and uh coordinating like just like VIP and all these different things. And I did that for a really long time. I worked for them for ages and I managed to like name an art fair and I helped put it together. And that taught me so much. The art fairs were crazy. Like, you know, I did the antiquarian book fair, the outsider art fair, the print fair, like, um, you know, this, like they did French design fairs. They did, uh, pretty much anything you can think of. The, the ADAA. Did you, they did the I didn't affordable. do that one because there were more. That's a new fair. That's very new. That was like that started. I remember when that started. A few but years ago, right? Sandy and Sandy was like insanely supportive. He like provided me with a studio and like would really and he paid us very well. And I really liked working for him. And it was he was really lax and it was cool. And then he introduced me to some gallerists and like private dealers. So I started working for like a private dealer on Park Avenue who's like got this little like penthouse set up and it was so cool. She spoiled me. She really took such good care of me. I helped with their database. I set up fairs for her all over the place, did tons of fairs. And she was one of the first people, she was grandmothered into like the outsider art um, sort of world. So I just knew absolutely everybody in the outsider art when I my first day of working at the outside art fair I'm sitting there like oh my god this is so overwhelming and I'm 21 or something and then this woman comes up to me in the lab and I'm I'm doing all the tickets at the front desk and no one else is there and I'm looking around like oh my god how do I do this and this woman totally and 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 just fresh to New York a Mm -hmm. couple months in or whatever this woman comes up to me and she's like hi I need to get in and I'm like well it's quarter to six and we close at six like I'm so sorry but I just don't have the, uh, you know, uh, authority to let you into this. And she's like, do you have no, no idea who I am, do you? And I was like, oh, my God, who are you? <laughs> then she's like, I'm Nan Golden. And I was like, are you kidding me? She's like, who are you? And then we just had this moment where she was like, you are just like so fresh. And she was kind of just like, you know, welcome or something mm-hmm. like that. And she was so sweet. I actually kept in touch with her for years after that. Um, and I had a drink like with her at the Soho house in London. Like it was this, it turned into this really cool thing, but it was just like Awkward so funny. First. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then I let her in. I was like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Of course she went and saw the whole show and it was fine. But you know, it's so it was, funny though, because artists, even if you're really famous, a lot of people aren't going to know what you look like. I guess with her, because of the photography, she expects that, but totally I mean, most well-known artists, people don't know what they look like. It's a gift. Yeah, it's the anonymity of... It's a gift. It is. Oh, my God. I don't want anybody to... If I turn into, like, one of these artists that's, like, you know, 
I don't know. I hope I do. But, you know, there's someone like Chuck Close who walks down the street. It's like, yeah, right. you know who he is. He's so, like, visibly recognizable. Well, yeah. But you see any other artists, like, you know, Chris Martin, you're not going to, nobody's going to be. Right. People don't. Now he's more of a pop star, you know, because he's really, really catapulting to crazy level of success. But like, you know. Yeah, like the Matthew Barneys, Jeff Koons, George Kondo, people recognize those people. But most well-known artists are kind of under the radar. It's amazing. I mean, do people know what Sarah Morris looks like? Um, No, but I did babysit for her, didn't I? Yeah. I did babysit for Sarah Morris. That's funny. Wait, isn't she based in L.A.? Oh, no. Sarah Lucas. Sorry. That's my bad. That was such a long time ago. Oops. (laughs) Oops. <laughs> That's totally fine. <laughs> so many artists out there. Oh, my God. See? So many Sarahs. I know. With kids. <laughs> it's true. No, it was not Sarah Morris. It was Sarah Lucas. Amazing painter. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, like, so wonderful. You can produce things and just be under this sort of, like, veil of anonymity, you know? Mm-hmm. And that is, like, something that, like, I just think is so cool about making art versus like you know being an artist versus being a model right like a lot of people like i don't know you're famous because of what you look like it's like how long is that gonna last i mean realistically i hate to be a hater on models i have friends who do it but like it seems like a really sad decision to like just do something based on like what you look like you know unless you feel like well someone gave me this so You know what I mean? I just kind of came in this package. I might as well take advantage of it. That's very true. That's definitely very true. But I would, I guess just for me personally, I hate to walk down the street and have people be like, hey, are you so-and-so who did this? And I'm Mm -hmm. just like, I'd rather, I guess, I guess like social media kind of makes it a little bit difficult to like be anonymous, but you know, a lot of people aren't on social media, you know? A lot of people use social media, but don't put themselves on it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. They keep their face. There's some people on social media, like artists that, you know, it's their work and I'm still have no idea. I'll go talk to them or meet them and I have no idea what they look like. Oh, totally. You know? Yeah, totally. And even if you Google them, you can't find a picture of them. Yeah. And like you're saying, that's one of the last, like as a, you know, a successful artist, you can do that. Like you can have visual anonymity because it's totally. the work that's the face, you know? Yeah, totally. Which is kind of refreshing it's the best i think it's one of the greatest things about it it's like you know you get to do your thing like put the uh, put the money where your mouth is that's a terrible way to put it but like let your work do the speaking for you right you know yeah um yeah even when you have a show you just drop them off it's like dropping the kids off at school hope you do well totally see you in a month totally maybe not totally (laughs) see the see the work or maybe don't see the work you never know right yeah well, to bring it back, so you were doing all this art world work, and yeah. then when did you get your kind of, you know, paintings out that started connecting and showing your work, and and what was your work like at that point as opposed to now? That's such a nice question. I love that. Um, but funny, because I was always making work. I was always painting, and I was always, like, writing, and I was always creating, but I saw... And I was really, like, brought up by a lot of people who were much older than me. Like, some of the artists I was hanging hanging out with when I was 22 were, like, 10 years older than me. Um, And I saw, like, what happened to some of these artists. And I was like, wow, I do not want this to happen to me, where they got really successful at a super young age. And then 
it happens uncountable times to promising young artists they rise to a level of like major success too soon too fast and then you know people expect them to continue making that work through maturity and they need to mature but maybe they don't have the same people interested in their work so I really wanted to be like of course when I was like I only started showing in New York in 2015 which is three years ago Mm -hmm. I had my first like even notable group show it was a huge group show like in deep Brooklyn like in 2015 like before that I had done stuff in Chicago but I had no sort of like visibility in New York zero percent I had zero 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 opportunities to show my work and I think that was because I really was super like adamant about working as hard as possible before I showed it and knowing that the work I was making was going to push me into a place where I was ready to show it, Mm -hmm. you know? And I felt, you know, I was doing so many different experiments within my own work through my 20s, like drawing the body, drawing from nature, um, painting abstractly, working on hard edge abstraction, um, you know, doing some conceptual work, doing photo work, making zines, working on, like, you know, personal... uh, biography writing sort of stuff you know I worked through so many different fields of my practice that finally when I was like you know 26 or whatever after I'd spent like eight years like really working on my work I was finally like damn you know I should probably show this I should probably show this some point soon I had always wanted to but I just didn't have the opportunities and it was really like I didn't know where to enter into the art world. And all the older artists would just say, you'll have your opportunities. Just be patient. You'll have your opportunities. Be patient. And there were often times where I was really like, when, when am I going to show this? What's going to happen? Like, is this all just for me to sit in my closet when I move out of a studio sort right. of thing or sit in my studio by myself? But, you know, that's the amazing thing about making work is it really does create an aura around it that can disseminate and move into affecting people around you and then word passes and things continue and eventually you have this whole community around you that knows what you're doing is supportive asks you know questions makes it a discursive sort of like um you know surrounding where you're just like you know all active within it and your work becomes activated because there's all these different people so eventually it just happened naturally you know and I had one collector um who I saw last night and I absolutely adore him his name's Jared he's so sweet um who has a ton of my work and he he came over to the studio in 2015 he was like I like this work he 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 actually bought that piece from that first group show ever he like waited in line and bought it it was like such a cheap piece it was like this tiny thing on paper it was like I don't know one of these shows it's like get your piece for 10 bucks 9.99 or something 99 cents or whatever you know one of these things and he stood in line bought the piece and then he came to the studio and he said how much do you want for this and I was like I don't know like 900 bucks and I'm thinking in my head like dear god there's absolutely no way that he's gonna agree to this are you kidding me like an 11 by 14 painting and he was like that sounds great I'll pay you half now and half later, and thanks for the painting. I was really like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. You know, there's actually somebody who gets what I'm doing to some degree and 
loves it and wants it to have value and actually wants it to display it in his home. And it's funny because he show, he hung it next to a Michelle Grabner piece and she was one of my professors at the Art Institute. So mm-hmm. it, it really like, and it's still hanging to this day, like in his living room. I always go over there. They live close to me and, you know, um, it gave me that full circle with the SAIC thing. I was like, wow, I guess... I am creating something around me that reflects on my past and moving forward. And it was really interesting. It was like a hashtag piece that I had made. And um, he is like an editor. He edits like uh, um, uh, sexual, like reproductive health manuals. And he was really like into the editorial aspect of my work, symbols, language, all this different stuff. And we had a lot of really good conversations about that. And then when I, my work started moving into other directions, he was like, I love this work too. And he would collect something else and he would pick up something else. And so he was, he's always been like crazy supportive of the different works that I've made. And, uh, you know, that's a, a really nice feel good first collection or like first major collector purchase. It was story. insane. I mean, I couldn't believe it, you know? Well, this idea like that you wanted to spend some time before showing the work because you felt like you didn't want to just jump in, burn right. out really quick and not be able to adapt or change. Mm-hmm. So you've worked through so many different ideas and then you started getting these opportunities to show the work, obviously, you know, like gallery shows. Now in retrospect, do you feel like, oh, well that opportunity came at the right time because I had worked out all these ideas and now I really feel strong in what I'm doing? Or do you also feel that maybe just changing and working in a lot of different ways is part of my way of being creative. Because it sounds like you've had that all along with working through, you know, whether it's design, fashion, like these other things that you're really interested in, writing, music. Right. Is it possible to, is some of that kind of like early burnout, just artists who were just shown early, mm-hmm. and especially now in today's age of like, you know, saturation of social media and totally. stuff getting out there that people's attention span is just shorter than it mm-hmm. used to be. Is, is part of it maybe that, you know, you just, you know, that's the way you you work creatively. You want to keep changing. You want to keep moving and you want to have your hand in a lot of different, you know, creative means. Oh, definitely. Oh, man. That's, and that there's nothing wrong with that. I just, I, th- I just, my curiosity is endless. I mean, there's also other fields that I've worked in that are like even far beyond this conversation. I have done a lot of curatorial work. Um like multiple multiple shows I've done curatorial work in a lot of different places my scarf business Massive Central I've worked with done 20 scarf editions with different artists and I you know like all of those things like also my scarf business opened up a lot of doors for me to you know work for myself while I was still developing my art practice you know it allowed me to partner with artists to do um, like projects that promoted their work and also like sort of like helped my vision evolve and stuff and so you know it was never like a conscious thought to be like you know I'm interested in you know publishing prints and I'm interested in releasing clothes and I'm interested in like curating shows it was never kind of like a you know nothing was ever really like cut off from another although I do keep my business and my personal practice very 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 separate Mm -hmm. um I think everything just naturally sort of flowed into one another um, but isn't it a nice feeling to be able to have different outlets oh. and your eggs aren't all in one basket? Oh, for sure. Isn't I, a lot of artists just have that one 
thing that they do. Oh, God, I can't tell you how many of my friends have tunnel vision. Yeah. Oh, my God. Which works for a lot of people. Oh, certainly. But if if there's a problem in that, you know, way of working, then you're going to be stuck. You know what I mean? Oh, God. Well, I think this question really comes down to, in a lot of ways, like, who do I idolize? Mm-hmm. Who do I... Totally, yeah. Who do I, who do I revere as being... Um, the most sort of influential and important. And one of the artists that really, really influenced me a lot, um, there's tons. I mean, I could list off a whole list of artists that I feel like really challenge themselves and move between uh, different um, uh, mediums or... Uh, what's the right word? Subject matter. Mm-hmm. You know, there's 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 artists like one of the most influence influential artists is Diderot. Mm-hmm. Um, Diderot. Like I am obsessed with, and I've read uh, like almost everything that you can find on him because I also like kind of live in Iceland a little bit. I've been in spending a month or two in Iceland the past like three years on residencies and um, just like investigating the country as like a starting off boys of something that's really of interest to me and he lived all over he was born in Bern and um, he basically like moved to Iceland when he was in his late 20s and he used that he used the country as a um, starting place for a lot of his work but he did everything and his life his chronology is like so fascinating because he went from like um, making um, he was like one of the first people to do op art artist books just artist books in general um, his books like in, include cutouts and collage and uh, are incredibly like um, early like in terms of his ideas of you know kinetic art he made incredible jewelry um, he did a little bit in textiles no, he, it's not a huge part of his practice um, he also did you know, sculptures, like, the materials are incredible, that he he went from everything from, you know, um, doing massive installations to tiny, tiny little pieces, and, um, you know, was one of the first people to use food in his work, and, uh, you know, everything that he did, and, and chocolate, and it's just, like, his whole practice and his whole life's work is so far ranging, and he never limited himself, you know? Uh, and I find that like incredibly influential and I think like um, you know and then it goes down to like you you look at his whole practice and there's like text and then you know uh, he also like traveled so much so he, te- he taught a lot in the US and overseas and his postcards works and my god like I could go on for hours talking about that just that artist you know he did he videotaped his whole life like end of his life basically like because he was interested in the body and these are the artists like artists that you know also Chris Martin in painting he he never limited I feel like Chris Martin never limited him his work to like you know anything that was within one vein Chris Martin you know we were talking about him as you came in we saw a book here and my last show at Pablo's birthday was actually named after a Chris Martin exhibition his Uh show was staring into the sun and I um that was work that I made for my Iceland residency. So I called it staring into the sea mm-hmm. and it was an homage to him. And it's funny cause talking about that community, his wife is an amazing artist, Tamara Gonzalez. She's incredible woman, incredible artist. She also like has this drawing night that she creates a community around herself as well in a beautiful way. They came to see the show and I was like, Oh my God, 
this could not be any more full circle. You yeah, know? it feels good, right? Like to have those artists that do things that kind of just free you up to do what you want to do. Because you're like, oh, Definitely. I really respect this person. I mean, I grew up in Pittsburgh and Warhol was always around, like, you know, and the way he worked across different mediums and, and worked with, you know, making album covers from like jazz, guy, you know, all that stuff. Totally. Like it never, to me, it never felt as much as I was in situations where fine art was here. Right. And everything else was here. You know, I right. just would look back to that and it kind of gives you license to be like, well, you know what? This is someone I really love and they did all this stuff. Yeah, you totally. Know? And it kind of paves the way, really. Certainly. And like another thing and I, you know, and it's funny because in New York, it's the place to do it. Definitely. Because the opportunities I'm, are here. Yeah. Totally. And like, I also am friends with like a lot of skateboarders mm-hmm. and like, I definitely follow skateboarding a lot. And that has also, that community has really influenced me too. Um, like fashion within skating and some of the people who are really like pushing that. I find that super interesting too. Like there's so many different things that like, you know, can influence you in just ways that you don't even know, you know? If you knew how many people on the podcast have mentioned skateboarding when they were growing up. Oh, yeah. The relationship between skateboarding and becoming an artist, especially in my generation, was, you know, almost like a one-to-one ratio. Wow, that's amazing. It was a big then because that was where you were getting counterculture, you were getting the music connection, and then the aesthetic side of it was so pervasive. Totally. Like Thrasher magazine, stickers, and skateboard graphics. That was like the cutting edge of what you know, visual stuff was happening. So, Oh, certainly. It's like a one-to-one. Yeah. I didn't get into skating until like a little bit later and I'm not like I skate, but I don't do tricks. I'm like, I love to skate to get around. I've been doing that for like most of my adult life, but it just kind of like, I noticed maybe like five or six years ago in New York, people would be like, can you, can you do tricks? And I'm like, I'm riding like a zip zinger. Like I don't, I don't know how to do a kickflip, but you know, let's I, be honest, the percentage of people who actually are really good at doing tricks on skateboarding as opposed to just people who skateboard, it's a pretty slim percentage. Oh, totally. It's the culture. Oh, the totally. culture is way bigger than the actual sport of it. Yeah, but like my friends are some of like the best skaters in New York. Like and a lot of the people who've worked for me through my business are like really successful skaters. Like my last assistant, Cyrus Bennett, he's a super good friend of mine. He skates for nine one seven. Uh, Alex Olson's company he just went pro for them and like I'm like wow this kid I've known since he was a little kid just like punk kid like Mm -hmm. but it's amazing how if you create something that just has this like undeniable energy that like it, it is that it's undeniable it's so it builds itself up in the community around it and that's like skating in my 20s has like been really interesting for me to see how that's like fashion skating coming together like has folded into one of another like my friends have this company humble and like they make these like really cool shirts they're like 21 though they're really young Mm -hmm. these kids but they really fill me with like a wonderful energy and they really love my work they're not really like artists so to say but they do appreciate they ask questions that artists would never ask about the work right you know and having that sort of like fresh look at what i do is super interesting and being surrounded by people who aren't artists you know who are maybe like skating seeing the city like you know um i find that also to be like incredibly influential too and i have friends that are like across all fields you know that do a lot of different stuff 
a lot of artists, but also people who are doing creative things that are not linked specifically to visual art. Yeah. Well, let's, I don't want to not talk about your show. Oh, (laughs) well, we should definitely talk about it. We are here in the gallery. Yeah. What, what, um, so I read, you know, you sent me the, I don't know if that's a quote unquote press release, but the text that supports the show. Right. That's exactly what it is. It's precisely that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but did you want to talk about this work and how it evolved and how it came to be? Totally. Um, yeah. I mean, one of the other things that's just, I don't really talk about so much, but has been an incredible influence in my life. And I don't really want to talk about it like too in depth, but graffiti has been like a crazy um, place thing that has, I've just been in my life for a very long time. And one of my really favorite people was this guy, Paul, and he used to write Sayo. Um, Peace and Love Crew in Paris, Pal Crew. Um, also, like, you know, Tomac, Mosa, Scoob, Esso, Orfe, like all these really cool French writers. Um, they are all in Peace and Love Crew. And these are some of the guys that, like, really, like, they came to New York 2013. That was kind of late for me in Graph, but, like, they came into my life in, like, a really amazing time. And their energy was just, like, incredible, so positive. Like, so such lovers these guys are such lovers they're such positive wonderful people and these french guys that came to new york for a show and like from after that point i stayed really close with paul we were just like really really so kind of obsessed with one another like you know he was always telling me to come to france i was always telling him to come here but it like the time always missed each other like it's a bit funny because like when he came here he had a girlfriend and when I went there I had a boyfriend and it was always just like we were just missing each other we always like tried to see each other like as much as we could and hang out as much as we could but um yeah this and we just like he was so incredibly special he was a poet and he was an amazing writer and artist and graffiti and street and beautiful fashion when I first saw a video of him in like 20 12 he was wearing this like bolt chicago bulls jacket i was like oh my god this incredible french like (laughs) artist so classic Mm -hmm. so classy beautiful french just gorgeous guy with this bulls jacket i was like who is this guy and he came to new york and when he showed up that day that he showed up like at my friend sam friedman's studio like i was just immediately like oh my god i just absolutely love this person i thought he was amazing i just thought he was so cool and you know, for like the five years after, five and a half years that we were friends after that, we stayed in like really close touch. Um, and I went to Paris. I saw him like a couple times. We hung out a bunch. We had some crazy stories. I have some crazy Sayo stories, like probably not for this podcast, but uh, we'll make it to the monograph or whatever sort of book I'll publish on my uh, sort of street history. Um, <laughs> but Paul, yeah, he passed away this past summer in like a really freak car accident um really so tragic accident he was very young he was a year older than me he was 29 when he died and um it was crazy like the memorials were so insanely beautiful they were held at his family home the first one in uh burgundy in like an incredible chateau like with all of his friends had come from all over the world basically mostly france but also other places um and uh, then the second memorial we had was like a party more 
celebrating his life that included performances in November. So there was one in August and November. And this whole time that I was kind of like documenting this loss uh, and, you know, really, really feeling this loss, I was doing drawings like at the memorials of like the landscapes. I had been doing landscapes and I was really interested in kind of like documenting his surroundings, you know. Um, and so the paintings in the show really are a testament to like where he grew up in Burgundy and then like some of the like scenes surrounding his second memorial in Benoulet at the Wonder Liebert studios outside of Paris. Um, and uh, there's a painting that's of myself, my really first self-portrait. I've only ever showed one self-portrait ever. I'm wearing the same dress now that I was in that. <laughs> it's just backwards. <laughs> this is with Mosa, Momo, who's like a friend, Alexander Bavard. He's in the group show downstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of these works like are very, very in tune with Paul's um, sort of poetic side and his use of text in a very um, beautiful way. Like I took a lot of his words that he had for himself, like Le Roy Soleil, which is like the Sun King. Mm-hmm. I took a lot of those names that he had for himself and used those as like jumping off points for the work. So like one of these sunsets, um, the first Karma Solaire set, Karma Solaire is the sun's karma. And that's uh, what Paul used to kind of talk about as being the energy that revolved around the earth. Or, you know, he would talk about like the energy of the sun and um, you know, he just had all these amazing references to nature and it really pushed me into wanting to document the natural surroundings where he grew up and the sunsets. When I was coming back from the first memorial, you know, um, you're like sitting in the seat. This isn't in the text, but I think it's an interesting part. You're sitting in the seats at the on the airplane on an eight or nine hour flight back from Europe or mm-hmm. wherever you're going, maybe shorter or longer. And they had these little um, like monitors. And in one of the monitors, they had this like, choose your meditation um and i thought it was so hilarious because there was one that was like sunsets so i started drawing all these sunsets you know it'll be like the 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 wind blowing in the sahara or like the the parakeet chirping in the um you know amazonian rainforest they make the they they just want you to imagine you're anywhere outside of like you know the the Air France flight. With so like, you're sketching this? Yeah. So I was sketching. <laughs> yeah. So I was sketching, and I thought it was so funny because I've always drawn from real life. I always really like am interested mostly in like drawing things from uh, you know kind of like observation. Observation. Yeah. And I was drawing these sunsets, and um, this one like just stuck with me. And it, and then I looked at it later, and I realized it was half a butterfly wing too. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, it's the papillon, which Paul always called himself a papillon. Oh, really? So that's within the name of the title of the show, like the one furthest at the end on the right mm-hmm. that I also made into a dress, my Karma Solaire dress, which I don't know if you got a chance to look at, but I matched all the colors in the painting to the silk see. dress. Um, it was like a collage dress piece. Um, so a lot of the work came out of these like different names that he had for himself. And Mm -hmm. I ended up actually getting like a couple tattoos for him too. So that also took it further, which I thought was kind of cool as well. You know, everything was like with him all inclusive, his style, he did a great, he did amazing fashion collaboration with Andrea Cruz. Luckily I have two of those pieces. I was really amped when I got those. Um, it's funny, like they're just he really did the same like his works was so far reaching and like the same thing with his poetry and like all these different things I wanted to really include that in these pieces so I think they do yeah and you know seeing the images before reading the text 
um, it, I think it comes across There's a sort of vibrancy and a colorful kind of like energy to it mm. that now that after reading the text and hearing the story about it, it's like a nice encapsulation of what seemed to be a person who was really sort of bubbling with, you know, creativity or, or in a really interesting way of seeing the world, which I think these are sort of, you know, the representational paintings in the sense of their landscape, but they're, there's definitely a filter of some sort, like a really active, vibrant filter on it. Great. So it's like seeing the landscape in, in that lens, which I think, and, you know, in retrospect, seeing the, the statement about him is a really nice tribute and probably more so than the paintings or the tattoo is something that the experience of making knows will really kind of oh. connect you to him for uh, that experience. Oh, my God. A experience. Tell me about it. Let me tell you the uh, immense grief like of losing Paul. Oh, I can't tell you. I could cry right now. It's just like I went through the most unbelievable emotional ride making the work in the show yeah and it was so like it was just so exhaustive but in the same way ex- like exceptionally healing and having the tribute to him and having the opening a lot of his friends came in from Europe like some of the friends are in the group show downstairs and I did a screening where I screened some artists who were friends with him as well. So I really included people in every way that I could. And it was like, to me, it was so beautiful. And having his friends here, who also made work with like butterflies and kind of homages to Paul in a way, um, having you know these people here to see the work and to also pay tribute to him. And then, you know, Art Forum did this just, just like breathtaking review of the show that really you know speaking of speaking to paul and putting his name on art form that is so much far more interesting and important to me than even talking about my own work because his life and his life's work and his energy and his poetry and his personality and his beauty and everything about him like i'm looking at the i put two photos Mm -hmm. on the wall right now of him and i'm like looking at him as he's looking at me as i'm talking about him it's really so sweet like showing that life and memorializing and paying tribute and like continuing that sort of like understanding of him to me was the most important thing in the show I mean I can't make his work I can't you know I'd love to stage a show of his work in New York but like this is my way to show my love for him and show my um like sort of undying appreciation for his life and like just really move through the the different forces of feeling just such pain and sadness for his this loss but also like you know I talked to another friend and this was like this is such a dark way to look at it but he a friend of mine in SF has lost tons of friends my friend hype like he's lost so many friends and I was like well how do we get anything from this? You know, I've talked with him over the years that I've lost friends. He's really been there for me and vice versa. And he's like, you know what? I'm so used to this loss of people that now I see it has inspiration. You know, he, yeah. he, he, he sees it as like these deaths. And like I met some incredibly influential, interesting people like at his memorials, you know, and those memorials were a way for us to bring everybody together who are in his sphere. So like, they're also starting a SEO association, which is going to like 
you know, bring forth his ideas to a broader public. So we're all kind of working to, you know, make him known in a way. I think if you only think of someone passing as loss, like you were owed more of their life to give you things, then you're kind of, you know, turning your back on all the things that you got from those people. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I lost one of my best friends over Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving to a car accident. I'm and so sorry. Yeah. He was, you know, my studio neighbor in graduate school and we were in a band together and toured the country and, you know, we spent a lot of time together. And after all that, when we were just in New York working, I remember he was the one guy I would go, we would go to each other's studio and just talk for hours. Wow. So yeah. I think of like doing this and talking to artists as kind of like an extension of that experience that he you know, that he and I had together. So I think you find ways that you kind of extend just like the show, you extend out, you know, something that was really meaningful to you, the, which was a shared experience that you can't really have anymore in the flesh, but you continue it on in another way, you know, which I think is, is great. I think that that's one of the greatest lessons of loss is figuring out how to, you know, say thank you you know um, and show deep deep gratitude for the people in your life yeah I'll tell you all the people I've lost all the terrible sad losses that I've been through and we've all been through you know it's unmentionable it's unspeakable that weight of a loss like that everybody who's lost things like that it's you know, you figure out a way to take that and move it into something that is warm. It's like a yin-yang. You know, I study a lot of Chinese medicine. It's like, what is so far a yang that it pushes into yin? You know, mm-hmm. what 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 is the transfer of energy? What You know, when something hurts you, you also learn something from it. You know, when you lose someone, you also gain a greater understanding of appreciation for the people in, in your life and in the world around you. And that's... It pushes me to be a better person. Losing someone that you deeply love pushes me to be my best person and treat people the way I want to be treated because you never know how long they're on this planet. That's true. It's something I'm only learning at the the end of my 20s. I'm like, wow, I really have no time for people who don't treat me well because I try to treat everybody like the absolute best and I try to make everybody feel great, you know? Yeah. And that's a lot of the time what loss teaches you is that you have to really appreciate everything that's given to you and, you know, not take things for granted, I think. I can't wait to see your next show. What's it going to be? <laughs> oh, God. Um, well, I just opened a show, actually, with Lucian Smith's gallery online. You know Lucian? Yeah. He's, he's I'm really not personally, but I know he does that. He's been an incredible supporter of my work, even though I don't know him that well. Um, I know very good friends of his very well, like major close friends of close friends of his. Um, but I just opened a show called Letters from Abroad, and it's mm-hmm. a series of envelope paintings that I've made over the past five or six years. Um, and they are all kind of envelopes that like have come from different places. Like I was dating a few people long distance over the past so many years, and. I found like kind of making these like envelope or like sort of like um, like these pieces that talk about analog to digital communication and how we keep in touch when we're, you know, like away from someone we love or, you know, 
Um, the work like is also a lot about me leaving New York and moving to Europe or trying to split my studio between two places and packing up here and going there. So I thought like these kind of like, you know, they're like emoji paintings of like little envelope with a heart on it, mm -hmm. you know, um, like these weird little paintings on different scraps from travels. And they're like really kind of impromptu. And they're also like quite minimal and they're really fun, like kind of touch and go works that talk about like distance and longing and being away. And then, um, yeah, that's kind of a project that project that I'm working on right now that I, I really like. I'm going to start adding more envelopes to that series. Max Palmer, who's a skater who, uh, he's really awesome dude. He actually said to me, he's like, well, you know, you've done all these really cool, like, envelope paintings why don't you make that into a body of work and then it just naturally formed into Lucian's show and mm -hmm. then yeah so that's been really cool um so that's online right yeah that's part of where STP where can people find it it's uh serving the people which is Lucian's not-for-profit mm -hmm. this is like my third show I've done with Lucian now I did one in LA with him it went super well curated by Matthew Brown who's like a super young curator in LA was and that physical was that in a physical space that was in a physical space okay. Lucian, Lucian had a huge gallery there that it was like half his studio and I never went but the show went really well um like purple covered it and you know it just had a really good had a really good feedback and then I did another group show that he organized at Milk Studios in Chelsea and that went super well um, and now we have like the online show going and I don't know. I love working with Lucian. He's awesome. I don't know him that well, but I think he's the bomb and I think he's a super great painter and I think, I think he's the shit so far, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And then what else is coming up? I have a, uh, quite, quite good group show in Paris in, um, May, and that's American Artists in Paris, curated by a Belgian curator, Vince van den Bogard, who is a very sweet guy, um, who reached out to me about coordinating this group show of American artists, which I think it's really cool, like, being put in that context in another place. Yeah. Um, so that's in May. And then I am kind of, like, really looking forward to this summer of, like, just doing a lot of drawing and works on paper and like really allowing myself to experiment because I just did this whole fair and the whole mm -hmm. show and it was like very, 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 very painting heavy. Um, and I'm also probably doing a residency in the Bahamas. I kind of won this prize. Island people. I know, right? Um, nice. I won this prize to go to the Bahamas for a couple months, so I'm going to do that in October. That sounds real, like a real drag. God, tell me <laughs> about it. And they're like, you know, so there's so many different landscapes on the Bahamas, so we really want you to document every landscape. So we're going to have you spend a week on every island. I'm like, oh my goodness, who, who are these? What are these opportunities? Like, I don't know where this shit is coming just from. Just go with it. Just yeah, it. I'm just like, just praying my thanks like uh, just you know like things are going in a good direction it's like I've worked so goddamn hard for my 20s I'm ready to chill a little bit and like take <laughs> take some time to like appreciate like having made the work and that you know like relaxing no better way to do that than a residency in the Bahamas I'd say so and then online people can see yourself on your Instagram busy right? yeah definitely um I'm, it's your name at your name yeah Tessa Perutz that's it um uh I'm thinking like it'll probably be a little bit less active on social media when I'm in Europe because my a lot of my Europe 
European friends don't even have smartphones. You know, right. it's just a totally different culture. They're um, highly evolved. They are. That's <laughs> what I would say. They understand the hours in the day. Yeah, certainly. Definitely. Um, and then I have a jacket that I've just released with Cross Studio in Asia. That's available. I'd like to make some more prints. I'm pretty much like leaving things open a little bit. I know it sounds like I have so much going on, but I'm just really looking forward to like loosening up. I've thought about going to art school in Antwerp for a year to get my master's in painting, but also like joining that with their fashion program. I really want to make a collection of paintings into fashion. Nice. It's a it's a major major interest of mine. Like unique Why not? pieces. Yeah, totally. I mean, you're, you can do it. Yeah, I I want to do it. Yeah, so I'm kind of like pushing my work in that direction too. So. It's a lot of fun things brewing, definitely. Nice. Yeah. Well, it was really nice to meet you. Oh, it was so nice to chat with you. Congratulations on the show. Looks great. Thank you so much. And I'm it, happy. It, it definitely hits, you yeah. know. So. Oh, that's such a sweet thing to say. Nice. God bless Sale. <laughs> Love him. Blow him a kiss. <laughs> or two. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot for meeting me. Thanks. Thanks. Sound and Vision is recorded, produced, and edited by myself, Brian Alfred. You can follow Sound and Vision on Instagram at Sound and Vision Podcast, and you can find the podcast, more information, and images I take from the podcasts at soundandvisionpodcast.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can make a donation of any amount on the webpage. The intro music and introduction was lended by Michael Lovett of the band Nazca Lines. You can catch Michael moonlighting in the band Metronomy. The artist introduction music and outro music was provided by Lullatone. For more information about myself and my artwork, check out my website, paintchanger.com, or find my work at Miles McHenry Gallery in New York City, Maho Kubota Gallery in Tokyo, Hezi Cohen Gallery in Tel Aviv, and Studio La Chita Gallery in Verona. Thank you for listening.